it was, there was a lot of positives and there were some negatives, right? And I think that when you make um, time goals instead of process goals, and I knew this going in, it's, it's inherently problematic, especially when you attach a date to them. And that's what I did, right? It's like, I want to do a time goal within a certain calendar time. And that is not great because if you want to set a time goal, fine, but you know, put the, the, the date by which you want to achieve that goal, maybe write that part in pencil. So you can erase it, <laughs> there's an injury or whatever, or life circumstances or who knows, right? So here's the question, how do runners like us remain active, get stronger and heal from injuries without being told to stop running and create a healthy life for ourselves so we can continue to hit PRs well into our 40s and 50s? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, physical therapist, running coach, and creator of Spark Physical Therapy, where we help active adults be able to run without aches and pains so you can feel good about yourself again. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. All right, we are live and welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. And I am here with one of the podcast extraordinaires, one of the originators. He's like a founding father of running podcast. I'm super excited about this. Welcome to the show, Matt Chittum. Dwayne, what, what a nice entrance. I, that, was, that was really nice of you to say. Um, I, I, will, I do have to admit, I got into running. I was, I became, I was a listener of running podcasts before I became a running podcaster. So there are definitely people who did it before me, but so I just passed my four year anniversary mark and it's been uh, an absolute blast. That's for sure. You're going to talk to dedicated amateur runners who are doing super inspiring and important things. And I've always been a big fan of those kinds of stories, whether it's running or not, any kind of like, hey, achieving amazing things in the face of adversity. Uh, I can get down with those kind of stories all the time. So now to be a part of telling people's stories really is a blast. Oh, my goodness. And I am super, super excited that you uh, are coming on this show because you were one of the first running podcasts that I listened to, right? Like you were you know, yourself, Allie, right on the road. Like I would listen to you guys all the time when I started running and just learning about running myself. So you don't understand, honestly, uh, what a privilege this is to have you come on. And for those of you that don't know, this is the rambling runner himself. He has the rambling runner podcast. Um, like you said, he's been doing it for four years, um, been super consistent, um, between all of your previous podcast shows, um, and we'll get into this, but you've done over 500 podcast episodes, which is like amazing. And you have a top 10 running podcast of all time. Um, you are a podcaster, you're a run coach, you're a fellow New Englander from our neighboring state in Rhode right, Island. Baby. Southern New England, not just any New England, <laughs> Southern New England. I love it. So I am super excited to honestly be able to ramble about running uh, with you and share you with our healthy runner community, just in case they haven't listened to your show before, um, just to get to know you a little bit more. And it's always good to kind of chat with you. So let's start. First question we asked all our guests, Matt, is really a little dynamic warm up. You know how passionate I am about the dynamic warm up. So for those of you, you know, runners who've been like hiding under a rock and never listened to your show, uh, tell them like who you are, where are you from, and what do you do? 
All right, so we already gave up the news on, on where I'm from. I'm from Rhode Island, um, and I've, I've basically lived here my entire life. I went to college for four years in upstate New York, and then came back to Rhode Island, and I've lived here ever since. So that's kind of the, the where I'm from part of this. As an athlete, um, I just have always been kind of an athletic guy. I've always loved being involved in sports. So as a kid, I was involved in everything. Uh, in high school, the same thing. I did a bunch of different sports in high school with a focus certainly on the basketball side, but I ran cross country. I did track. I did baseball. I did football. I did you know, just a variety of other things um, on the side with my friends, uh, which is always fun. Then went and played college basketball for four years and then coached college basketball basketball for seven after that, which was really enjoyable. Um, but being a college basketball coach is not really uh, the best way of having a family or a wife. So ultimately pivoted out of that, got into higher education fundraising. And that's also around the same time when I started picking up running as well. So really started getting into, into that. From there, I started the podcast with really one idea in mind, was to talk to inspiring and dedicated amateur runners who were doing amazing things. And my thought was, hey, I don't care if anyone listens to these conversations. I just want to have them just for my own knowledge and entertainment and just being able to value these people. So I didn't care if anyone listened, which was great because for six months, no one did listen. <laughs> so I didn't really care. Um, just kind of scratching my own itch. So for the first six months, we had 8,000 downloads in total. Wow. After that, I basically said, all right, well, like I need, I want to get better at fundraising and I know social media marketing is a big thing. So let me just use the podcast as a, as a lab for use for practicing social media marketing. So not doing it at my job and potentially making an error and then, you know, getting shown the door or whatever. Um, so I basically use the podcast as a way to practice social media marketing and also trying to get better as a podcaster as well. And that's exactly what happened. So for six months, 8,000 downloads in total. And uh, maybe, I guess me, it was, I was the only one downloading it. And then um, after that, uh, the following 12 months, there were nearly a million downloads. So it really, it, it was exponential growth for sure. Um, but that wasn't the goal. It was just more of, that was just the byproduct of what we were doing. And uh, kind of from there, it just really took off. And uh, I was also lucky. So part of this was just timing. Uh, this was when um, podcasts, really weren't quite as um, ubiquitous as they are now in terms of people's ability to create them, right? So I was one of the first people on Anchor, which is this known platform now for if you want to start a podcast and you don't really know how to hand, how to do it, this is the place to go. And uh, so anyone can do it now, which is wonderful. I was just lucky to kind of be at the, the forefront of that. Um, again, just by luck, I guess. And because of that, I was able to fill the white space in the running podcast community because at that point we had plenty of people. Um, there were really two avenues. There was Trail and Ultra. They definitely had like Trail Runner Nation and they had a couple other podcasts in that genre that were doing great stuff. And I listened to all of them. And then you had the people who were interviewing pro runners, specifically uh, pro road runners. So you had people like, you know, Kerry Tolleson, Lindsay Hine, Tina Muir, um, and, uh, and Allie Feller, who were doing great stuff as well. Um, you know, since then we've seen Chris Chavez and Mario Fraioli, but back then they weren't quite doing that. And um, no one was really doing the, the amateur stuff at that point. So I was like, hey, I'll do that. We don't need another person interviewing pro runners. <laughs> they're, they're all, you know, the, the, less, the last thing right. people need, I'll do this other thing. And um, I guess it worked out because here I am still doing it. Oh my goodness. And I think what's so nice about that, really two things that I take home from that is 
you're reaching out to like the everyday runner, right? So we can all relate to, yes, the pro runners, like what they do is amazing. Like with the Olympics, just finishing, like seeing what they can do as athletes. And it's cool to like, get to know their stories and their background stories um, and how they train. Right. Because if, Hey, if it works for them, can it work for us? Right. We wonder as an amateur runner, but I, you know, it's really hearing those voices and getting to the people that we relate to most because in all of your episodes, you know, no matter who you interview, you know, there's always something that I'm hearing that that person is going through that I'm going through. I'm like, okay, I could relate to that. Or they're going through the same struggle um, that I'm going through, or, you know, they started, like, I was just listening to your last episode with Becky, um, who we know mutually, you know, she started, you know, running all of her runs at marathon pace, you know, and didn't right. know. Like and so that's many like... of us do like, so <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you when I was training a decade ago for the two marathons I've done, I think I did all of my runs at faster than marathon pace, which was like, <laughs> you look back and you just shake your head. You're like, what right. in the world was I thinking? And I think you know, when you compare and contrast like the pro runners with the, the amateur runners in terms of what you can take from each, what I think that most people can learn from them is like what we learn from the pros is how they've overcome challenges. And we were like, right, I can't relate to your successes, but I can relate to your challenges. I'm like, wow, like, that was a big deal for you. Well, if it's a big deal for you, then it must be a big deal for me too, right? Like if it's like, if it's important that say we're talking about a, say a female runner who, um, you know, I was just listening to a podcast. I talked about this, like, all right, if this, if this pro runner is like, Hey, I didn't have a period in my menstrual cycle for, for two years. And that was important to get it back for my health and everything about that. And then an amateur runner is like, well, if it's important for them, it's certainly important for me. And I haven't had a menstrual cycle in a while that, that's that's a huge thing, right? So you can have people say, all right, if this pro runner is dealing with this and they have to address it, then who am I to say I don't need to address it? Whereas with the amateur runners, we kind of get oftentimes, I shouldn't play it with too broad of a brush here, but oftentimes we get inspired by their successes because we can say, oh, wow, that person did X, Y, Z. What's holding me back from doing that? As opposed to saying, all right, so Molly Seidel got the bronze in her third marathon. Like that's not personally inspiring for me. What's inspiring is that she didn't go to the 2016 Olympic trials because she was she was working through, I shouldn't say, I'm not gonna say overcome because it's a lifelong issue, but she was working through an eating disorder. She stepped away from a sport completely, didn't go because she was working through that. That's inspiring to me um, from a pro runner because that's something like, all right, look, she addressed this and if they can, they have to address that, then, then who are we as amateurs to dismiss it? And I think that that's kind of a different way of looking at uh, an inspiration from these two groups. I love it. And it, it's really getting into almost like the why and, you know, peek behind the curtains, right? And I, I think you're right in that we always look at someone who accomplishes something and you're like at awe or, you, you know, there's a little bit of jealousy there. Like, oh, how can they do that? And I can't, or how come they're doing this and I'm not right. But you never see like the hard work um, or the things they had to persevere right behind that or what they were doing the 10 years before that. Right. So you never see those things. And that's what I love about your podcast so much is because you get in depth and you ask like such great questions. Um, and I take, I take notes myself. I'm like, man, I got to ask questions like Matt, uh, on my show. Um, so you really provide that, I think in depth, like overview 
that we can all relate to as runners. And I think everyone in our healthy runner community, you know, we are amateur runners that are looking to stay healthy and continue to like get after it as, you know, you mentioned Carrie, as Carrie says, and, you know, be able to do our thing and just be like, you know, great human beings, right? Like running is the thing that allows us to be the best possible human possible. And, you know, your show is great at really bringing out those stories and inspiring others. But let's get into kind of, you talked a little bit about the podcast and how it started out on, you know, different shows and you were doing that early. Just get into your running um, background a little bit. I know that, you know, I've listened to many of your episodes. Like you said, you were more of like the track, more like speed person. I know basketball, right? Was like your passion. Right. right. Um, what do you, what are you liking, I guess, um, you know, now as an adult, um, later in life, um, as we're really in this, where you and I both, I would classify us getting into the middle-aged category. I am technically uh, a master's runner, man. I can't, this is yes. not, a, this is not a subjective opinion. This is an objective fact for sure. You're, yeah. So I mean, Hey, to, 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 to get on that, like, um, I was definitely more of a, uh, fast switch athlete, uh, as, as a youngster, I know that doesn't, I'm not at an age where that has gone away yet either. Um, so, you know, I'm someone who like, I prided myself on that, right? Like, so like winning like the high school shuttle run and yeah. like, trying to dunk a basketball at five, eight with like cans that can't palm a basketball and stuff like that. Right. And, and doing all that sort of stuff and even in track, like, so I was doing the, the 100, the 200, the 400, the high jump, the long jump, the triple jump. Right. So like the, the, the faster stuff, I wasn't doing even the 800. I never did a the only time I ever ran the 800 was like the high school gym class, like physical fitness test, right? That was the only time. Um, so that was always kind of my thing. And even when I got into, when I got back into running, it was more of gravitating towards the track workouts. So I was in Rhode Island. We have the Ronald McDonald House uh, running team, which is wonderful. And Ann and Bob Rothenberg, who coached at Brown University, their, their track and cross country teams for decades, they basically like, volunteer their time to work with hundreds of athletes in this wonderful experience. They have all these track workouts and, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Now I would run on the other days um, religiously. And by that, I mean twice a year. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so no, so I would run occasionally, um, you know, throughout the week. I wasn't dedicated to that though. For me, it was the track workouts. That's what I was in it for. And that was a really fun thing. The fun thing is that I was used to it, right? So whether it was doing track in high school or preparing for um, every every college basketball season. I was on the track all the time for that stuff. Like, so if I was getting ready for the, say my summer workouts to get ready for hoops, I would have the skill work and stuff like that, obviously. But in addition, I'd have, you know, three times a week, I was on the track doing 200s, 400s, 100s. Um, the, the typical workout that our coach gave us, and he wasn't a track guy. I think he just liked number, <laughs> like number equality. It was like six by 200 six by 100 six by 40 with like one minute rest in between and like the heat of the summer so you're just like killing yourself on the track um so that that was kind of what i gravitated towards when i really enjoyed when i look back at it and at it now is that i had a i wouldn't even see say an incomplete understanding i had a completely misunderstanding of what even like a 5k required from a anaerobic versus aerobic work right so there's plenty of evidence out now that talk about, and we talk about this all the time on the show that like, even for Olympic milers, they're like 87 to 90% of that race is aerobic for them. This is people who are running sub four minute miles and comfortably, 
running under sub four hundred miles. And um, if that is mostly aerobic, then what's my five k, <laughs> right? So what I was doing, I was putting all this work in on the track and doing so much anaerobic work or or really close to anaerobic work. Um, it wasn't making me a better runner in the things that I was doing from a racing standpoint. Like it would have made me a really good like eight hundred meter runner, but it wouldn't have made me a really good even 5k runner would have made me passable or maybe it would get to the point where I was getting close to what I'd done in the past, uh, but I wouldn't have improved really. So I think the big thing for me now is understanding aerobic development is going to undergird everything else. And we are all born with certain genetic gifts, whether that's athletics or not. Uh, for me, again, I'm more, I'm more fast switch, which is great. And that, that's a positive in some sense, but there's no better or worse thing here. It's just like, all right, what's better for my training? So for me, it's really, really doubling down on the aerobic stuff, throwing in some strides, and then thinking more towards the lactate threshold work um, that can be part of why like my tempo runs never came close to what my track workouts were from a comparison standpoint versus like if how other people would handle them, right? Like if I looked at someone who we ran the same 5K time, they oftentimes would handle their tempo slash threshold work way better than I did. And that was always like something that I need to work on. Well, it's not something that you do once a month and that's quote unquote working on it. It's more of like, what are you doing from an aerobic standpoint to help build all the stuff that is involved in aerobic development that's even more than just like handling you certain speeds from a leg perspective. Yeah, well, first off, as a kid, I was terrible in the shuttle run. So you would have smoked me. I was like that kid that was last. I was like totally slow twitch. Like, Matt, you see my legs. Like, I got chicken legs. I got sticks as legs, right? Well, I got to uh, be honest with you. So do I, Dwayne. Like, that was my nickname was Chicken Leg Chittum. Like, I, I can't say that I had anything else. <laughs> yeah, but the mile, I always did pretty well in the mile, uh, even back then. Um, so it was definitely more of a slow twitch kind of guy. And I could not dunk a basketball. I was definitely a white boy, could not jump. That was me. Uh, my ups are not good whatsoever. I can't say I ever did dunk a basketball. I've dunked a tennis ball, a baseball, a softball, and I like basically dunked a volleyball, basically, but not <laughs> quite a basketball. <laughs> I love it. And for those that are new um, runners out there or beginner runners that might be listening to this, you really talked about the importance of aerobic development. And that's kind of your focus in your own training. Can you just talk about what that actually means in case there are some runners listening and they're like, I have no clue, anaerobic, aerobic. What is Matt talking about? What does that mean in terms of how your training has changed? So for me, that's really dialing up the mileage at an easy pace. When I say an easy pace, I'm saying, hey, there's no such thing as too slow as long as your form isn't compromised. All right, that's what I always tell my runners. Like, there is no such thing as too slow. You're getting all of the connective tissue development and tolerance. You're building all the capillaries, all the mitochondrial density. All that stuff is happening, right, at, at, any, at any of your easy paces. As long as they're not, so there is a too fast, there is not a too slow. Again, as long as you're not doing something that's going to harm you from a, you know, my, all of a sudden my form is compromised type issue because I'm going too slow, right? So with that caveat, there's no such thing as too slow. The too fast part is, okay, all of a sudden I'm incorporating 
um, muscle tissue that isn't going to be beneficial to the aerobic development side, right? All of a sudden, my respiratory rate is going up. So it's be I'm becoming more anaerobic, meaning I'm not, I'm burning more oxygen than I'm taking in, which is not quite what I'm trying to do. And it's really developing the point where you're building up your all day pace. Try to think of your easy pace as your all day pace. So imagine like, this little devil on your shoulder where you're five miles into your easy run and maybe you're starting to wind it down and they're like, oh yeah, um, you need to run twice as much today. Like being able to do that, right? So going back to people who have listened to Born to Run, I say listen to because I don't read books, I, I listen to all of my books, um, but I say Born to Run by Chris McDougall and he talks about this concept in terms of nutrition and eating. So he's talking about the Tarumara, uh, the Romari people down in Mexico where they maybe they don't they don't say this explicitly, but he presents it as they eat as if they could go out on a run at any moment. So they're not taking in these huge monstrous meals, maybe unless they just finished up a monster run or so, a huge race or something. But over the course of a normal day, they're just kind of grazing in terms of what they're eating. So if, if they ever want to go for a run, they're able to. They can't be like, all right, no, 30 minutes, can't go in the pool right now, I might get a cramp type type thing. Um, and I kind of view it the same way now with my easy pace. Whereas like if someone's just popped up, it's like, hey, no man, you know, like say Dwayne Scotty drives, but it's like, hey, you wanna do an easy run with me? You got wanna do eight miles? And I just finished my run. Like I could run again because I'm not so wasted from my easy pace. So that's the idea, incorporating that all day pace because you're building up all the aerobic stuff in your body, which is going to be the vast majority of what you're doing on race day is going to be your aerobic system. Again, not saying that the other parts aren't important, but they aren't the foundation of it. They aren't the big thing. They aren't the, the huge deal, right? So it's, be, it's, it's like focusing on, say you're carving a kitchen table out of a big block of wood. I guess you're Ron Swanson in this metaphor. Um, <laughs> you're like, you're worried about like, the, the levelness of the table, the stability, the legs of the table, all this stuff. The last thing in the world you're worrying about is like the detailing on the side of the table that's really nice and decorative and really focusing on the important stuff first. And then working through like, all right, now we're, let's work on really this, this locking in the speed stuff and all of that. Again, not to say that that is important because it is. And doing strides is really important because you can build the efficiency and you can keep your speed without having to even do workouts. You can keep your speed just by doing strides three times a week, which is really, really nice getting easy wins. But um, I'm focusing so much on this because in the past I haven't. And to my detriment, because I feel like I um, really left a lot on the table. Wow, that was such a great explanation. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. And I'm sure you agree that that's probably the most common conversation that you have with your clients, because I know that is the most common, you know, education point that I need to uh, share with my clients because well, they always want to run it's fast. Fun. It's more fun to run fast. Right. I mean, some people love running slow, but if you're running on roads, which a lot of the people are just because of there's gonna be a whole variety of reasons, but roads are more accessible for the vast majority of people listening to this than trails. So running on roads, most of the time running faster is just more fun. So even if like you're going out there with full intention on doing your easy runs easy, it can just be more fun sometimes to speed up and you just have to be like, no, man. Gonna save that for tomorrow or the next thing, right? And another way of doing this though is if you do live near trails, it's easier to slow down on trails because you just 
you're incorporating different things. You're like, you're watching out for the roots. You're watching out for the rocks. You're, you know, you're probably not just going in a straight line all the time. You're taking turns and the, the pacing of that situation, it can feel a lot different. And you can just say, Hey, no, man, I'm just out here enjoying myself. And that um, for a lot of people is an easy way of incorporating the idea of all day pace is, is putting yourself in that situation as opposed to like, Hey, I do this route all the time. I know exactly like what my normal splits are. I can make apples to apples comparisons. And even if you're not, you know, a you know type A runner, which there are a lot of people who are, and there's not a bad thing, but even if you're not that, it's so easy to fall into that trap of like, you know, like if you're wearing a watch, even if you're not, if you just happen to look at like the microwave before you walk out the door and see the time when you left and walked back in, like you can be aware of like, oh, wow, it's like around the same time as it normally is. And it's so easy to, to fall into that. Yeah, guilty as charged uh, type A runner right here. Um, so I think you bring up some really, really great points. And we're all about, you know, keeping runners healthy here. And that is honestly the single most important thing you need to understand as a runner is you most likely need to slow down um, because most of you are probably running most, the majority of your runs too fast right now. And you're not specifically sprinkling in those faster, harder effort sessions when you are ready for them, right? When your body's ready for them, when you've built up the strength. So thank you for reiterating that point. I appreciate that. And now well, let's, let's talk get... about Molly Seidel. She just got the she just got the bronze, right? We, <laughs> she's, she's a big, huge topic of conversation for a lot of runners for a lot of good reasons. Um, I forget the name of the guy. He did the Strava, um, did the Strava research on her. And basically she was running her long runs at 67% of, you know, in, in aggregate, 67% of her 5K pace. So that's like, it's, it's in the sevens, right? Yeah. Molly Saddle's running her her long runs in the sevens, right? Yeah. So dear amateur runner who's listening to this, who's saying like, hey, I should run my long runs at 745 pace. Like, do you really think you need to run your long runs at the same pace as Molly Seidel? Do you think that that's going to be beneficial for you in the long term? It probably isn't. It, and it doesn't mean that you need to like, you're not less of, you're not less tough or anything like that. It's more of like, and my, my coaching friend who also coaches with McCurdy trained Sarah Bishop, who is like, you know, number one badass when it comes to so many things. Um, she has this great line of like when her athletes go too fast on their easy days, um, not just one day, but like kind of start doing it consistently instead of, you know, rebuking them or reminding them, she's just like, all right, I guess your, I guess your, your workout days aren't hard enough. So she goes exactly. the other way. So like yep. when you get to the easy day, you're like, oh, I need to slow down. Like I am wasted from that long, that harder day, uh, which I guess is a, another way of looking at it, but also sell, proves the point of like, you can't just be hammering consistently, even if you are like this badass person who doesn't get hurt. Because even if you are healthy all the time, this is another thing that you and I have talked about. Even if you are healthy all the time, we're talking about becoming better. Sometimes that means being consistent because you're not getting injured anymore. Great way of getting better is being more consistent. But if consistency isn't the issue, it's like, all right, well then let's maximize the stimulus that you're putting your body through and then maximizing the recovery after that stimulus. And a way of doing that is to make sure there's this huge difference between recovery days and easy days in terms of the overall stimulus 
and these harder sessions. Again, sometimes the harder session can be easy pace and you're just like, hey, I'm training for an ultra, so I'm gonna be doing 45 miles over two days at easy pace. Well, that's a huge stimulus. It doesn't mean that you have to go faster, but understanding what are we doing here? Is this the increased stimulus part of the week or is this the recovery part of the week? And that can mean active recovery. It doesn't have to mean um, watching Netflix or, or you know, binging the, the Healthy Runner podcast. It can be a variety of things. Right. No, great point. Great point indeed. So let's shift gears a little bit to this whole mastering 40 concept, because I know this was a big, a big um, topic for you on your show. And for those who aren't familiar with your show, um, I, I want to get a little bit behind the scenes on where this came about just being a, you know, someone who is 41 now. And I, you know, when I turned 40, it's like, for some reason, 40, you know, 50, like there are those milestones that a lot of people set goals for. Some people run their first marathon, right? You're like, oh, I need to do X before I'm 40. Mm -hmm. And what was the story behind the whole mastering 40 um, kind of challenge that you took on? It was part athletic and part entertainment. So I had just come off the worst athletic year of my life. I had a variety of injuries, none really running related, like turned my ankle playing soccer with my son in the backyard. I like hurt my back opening a window over my daughter's bookcase. I did these random things. Ultimately, I just did not have the running consistency I wanted, which was super frustrating for me as an athlete, as someone who loves to be out there doing stuff. And as someone who was hosting a running podcast who all of a sudden wasn't running, it was just kind of embarrassing. So I was like, all right, I need to step up my game. Um, and not only that, I want to kind of like draw a line in the sand of like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put it out there uh, so that it's there's the accountability mechanism of just having a public goal. But I'm like, all right, like I think maybe people and I, I kind of I went out of my way to have like an informal poll, of like 30 uh, dedicated listeners and just called them up. I was like, hey, I have a question, a, a podcasting question I want to ask you. Anyone wants to be involved in this survey I'm doing? you know, DM me your phone number and I'm going to ask you like, we can top of the call for like 15 minutes or whatever. So I asked 30 of my followers and runners, uh, you know, some of my, my dedicated listeners and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this year long journey while mastering 40 of trying to break 40 in the 10K, which I hadn't done. Truth be told, I haven't run on 10Ks, but it was definitely a stretch goal for sure. And I was turning 40 that January. We're starting this over the summer, uh, last summer. And um I was like, is that something that you would want to hear about in terms of me like talking to, you know, pros in, in the industry and learning from them as I go through this journey? Do you think that that would be either entertaining or helpful for your own running? And everyone's like, yeah, that'd be great. So I was like, all right, we're going to make this part of the podcast. So every three weeks I would, I would do a, a podcast with whether it's a dietitian, my running coach, was, um, or, and, or a, uh, you know, sports therapist or, and it was an interesting thing. And for me, it was like, not necessarily, it was, there's a lot of positives and there are some negatives, right? And I think that when you make um, time goals instead of process goals, and I knew this going in, it's, it's inherently problematic, especially when you attach a date to them. And mm -hmm. that's what I did, right? It's like, I want to do a time goal within a certain calendar time. And that is not great because if you want to set a time goal, fine, but you know, put the, the, the date by which you want to achieve that goal, maybe write that part in pencil. <laughs> so you can erase it, <laughs> there's an injury or whatever, or life circumstances or who knows, right? I mean, you can be, you can be primed to go, but all of a sudden it's 86 with a dew point of 72 on race day. And like, 
if you were going to make that goal by the slimmest of margins, well, guess what? You're not making that goal anymore because it's just, it's just like saying like, hey, I'm not uh, cli- you know, climatized to altitude. And all of a sudden my race is at altitude. Like it's going to affect you, right? Weather can affect you. Hey, healthy runners. This episode that you are listening to right now is sponsored by our friends over at You Can Nutrition. And we all love their products. They're Patented super starch, which delivers that steady, long-lasting energy without the spike and then the crash, and their new UCAN Energy Edge gel that you can take with you during your runs. But today, I needed to share this with you because it's summer, it's hot, we're getting sweaty out there, and we are losing a lot of electrolytes. So how do I replenish my electrolytes during my long, sweaty runs is with UCAN's Hydrate product. I love this product. I've been using it for 10 years now. It provides you the electrolytes to stay hydrated without the sugar, so you get that like spike and then a crash in your energy levels. So since you are a part of our Healthy Runner community, you will always get 20% off all of your orders at youcan.co. Just use code HEALTHYRUNNER during checkout when placing your order. Go ahead and give UCAN's Hydrate a try for your next long, sweaty run, and trust me, you won't regret it. Now let's get back into this episode. Ultimately... I want to do it to kind of like show people like, hey, here are some things that we can all do. We can all learn from. Um, I put myself in a position to do it very publicly. I failed in <laughs> in ridiculous fashion. And I say feel like I didn't, I didn't race a 10K. So never mind like not getting the time. I didn't race it because I ended up getting injured. Um, so I ended up being a knee, uh, knee bursitis in my left knee, which you know all about. We talked about on my podcast because you helped me overcome that knee bursitis. Um, things were going fairly well up until January, February. That's when it popped up and we just had a problem with diagnosing it. And then once we got it diagnosed, uh, I saw you down in New Haven and we really started taking an aggressive path uh, to getting back getting back on the roads and, and running again, which I'm doing now, which is great. But um, ultimately, Mastering 40 was a, a fun adventure, an unsuccessful adventure, but I think I'm able to learn from it and hopefully be better for it. What I loved about all of listening, honestly, to those episodes, and even before you and I met in person, I was listening to the episodes and I was like, this is really neat, like how transparent you were, right? And when the times, you know, weren't good because we're all, we're all have those times that aren't good. Like for me this past weekend, like last week was probably my best training week. Like I've ever literally had in terms of my speed work and how I felt and mileage. And then we're at the beach uh, on Sunday, my girls play volleyball. That's like our time on the beach. And literally the ball went, I went to sprint and go get it and felt a little twinge in my Achilles. And I was Uh like, Oh no. Uh-oh. And I'm like, after helping so many runners with like Achilles pain and or seeing people who have torn their Achilles, like I was like, oh no. And yeah, now I was in pain, like pain with walking. And I'm like, and like you mentioned before, I'm like, I'm like the healthy runner podcast guy. Like I can't be unhealthy and injured. Right. So just like all those, you know, things happening in my mind and catastrophizing, like brought me back to how you shared your story. And I thought that was just so great to, you know, show some humility and again, peek behind the curtain. And because we all struggle with those things and we all have those same thoughts and those limiting beliefs and no matter how much knowledge you have with running, right? And you're a coach yourself and you help so many runners out there, you know, 
sometimes it's hard for us to actually do that personally, right? And do the, the things and the steps that we need to do. So I guess my question to you is, will you ever do something like this again and make it that public and like take on this kind of goal? I don't think I'll do the year long journey podcast of it. Um, I can see doing some sort of you know, middle ground, whether it's like, all right, talking about it or creating a video or, or something along those lines, maybe doing something uh, on some medium about um, what, what, what goals I'm trying to go for. You know, I, I do share on Instagram, I'll do like running, I'll do posts about the podcast, I'll do posts about my own running, like today I did like a post about like, all right, like I rolled my ankle 10 days ago and, and, and kind of taking more aggressive route with it this time as opposed to stuff that I've done in the past because I have traditionally awful ankles. I had ankle reconstructive surgery on one. And when I got it, they're like, choose one. They, but they're both equally awful. Um, so uh, I, I am a little sensitive with the, with the ankle injuries. Um, and I guess understandably so. So, you know, I definitely um, put content out there related to my running, uh, making it more systematic and putting it in uh, whether it's audio or video form. I can't imagine doing a series around it anymore. Um, I, but maybe I would do something... Um, maybe a little bit more in depth than, you know, 200 to 300 words in Instagram posts, but, um, but we'll see. I, I'm unsure on that in part because there's a level of embarrassment that comes with doing something publicly and, 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 and having it be, um, again, not saying it wasn't a good learning experience because it was, but it was also a failure, a monumental failure. So uh, I can't say I'm at, at this moment super excited to do something as public as as that endeavor was. Um, even as even again, even though as, as helpful as it was for me, I think I would have to you know see not only in terms of what I am excited to do because I think that kind of drives a lot of this, but also what people are excited to hear about because it is something that's an, an entertainment product that hopefully people uh, are getting some value out of, whether it's either expertise or entertainment. You know, maybe people were entertained by my failure, in which case let's do it again. But isn't it true though, in life, in running, you know, our greatest wins, our greatest victories come from those series of failures, right? So just think about and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about your next running journey and your goals and, you know, your, your big uh, marathon goal you have, like when you, when you crush like CIM, right. And you, you run that marathon or you have that really bounce back year, like think about how much sweeter it's going to be, right. Because you fail and Hey, you did it so publicly, right. So you're going to have your whole community, your rambling runner community, like cheering you on right? We're like behind you and it's going to be that much sweeter. So honestly, I thank you for being so transparent and doing what you did. Cause honestly, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that myself. Yeah. You know, I think that's, it was an, it was an interesting thing that is for sure. And I am excited about preparing for a marathon. So I haven't done a marathon in, in a decade. So I didn't do any marathons in my thirties basically. So I'm 40 now, I turned 40 in January. Uh, my last marathon was 2011, I think 2011. Yeah. 2011. Uh, I ran the Cape Cod marathon, uh, which I was trained for 
again, not trained perfectly. Again, I was basically running all my runs in marathon pace, but I did have a good training cycle and I stayed healthy and I did a lot of good things in that training cycle. And I was uh, going into that marathon um, hoping to be around 3.30, so eight minute pace uh, for that. And then in the last few miles, I let my form died on me and I was going down these downhills. So if you've been to the Cape Cod marathon course, uh, it's also the, the, the fin it finishes up on the Falmouth road race course, which is great. You see like, you, you notice it right away because each mile on the Falmouth road race course is this huge number. So mile two is just a huge two, the size of like a 18 wheeler like painted on the road right so you can see immediately so that's a very like up and down section so uh not huge hills but it's never flat and what happened to me was i started leaning back on the downhills and i did that consistently for a couple of miles and all of a sudden i was creating some knee pain for me um that i had no idea what it was i never had experienced knee pain before in any endeavor so I was like, what, what is this? What's going on? So I had to do a little walk run over the last couple of miles, finished in 346. And I was like, all right, like it was kind of a bummer. Like I thought I was perfectly trained for this. Um, and it was just kind of a fluky thing. I realized my mistake six months later, I was doing hill repeats um, super early in the morning. And I saw like my shadow from a street light as I was recovering on the way back down the hill repeat. I was like, why am I leaning back like that? And at that time I was still having this niggle with my knee and it was kind of a pain in the butt. And um, I, I just kind of leaned forward a little bit and like it went away like that. I was like, oh, if only, if only I'd realized this during the race. Um, but that was another lesson I guess you learned. So, um, so needless to say, I am excited to run the marathon. This is not my bread and butter event. I, we'll see how the training goes. I'm excited to really step up my training um, from, a, from an aerobic development perspective and just do practicing more double headers. So this is something that I haven't done a ton in the past. My, uh, my coach James McCurdy and I started doing a little bit right before I had my knee bursitis. And that was you know, doing, you know, whether it's the hard, you know, the, the, the long run followed by a medium long run or doing say the workout with, you know, that's again, eight to 10 miles, but some speed stuff and then following it up with, you know, similar mileage the next day and doing those double headers. So get really amping up the stimulus and then having the recovery again at the other end of the spectrum. Instead of it being like, hey, I'm doing seven, 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 14 rest day, right? Instead of it's being like, all right, I'm doing eight to 10, eight to 10, four, four, 14, 10 rest day, right? So really kind of peaks and valleys with it to really create this stimulus recovery model, which again, not, it's not necessarily perfect for everybody, but I think that that's something that I need to work on because it's definitely been something that um, has been missing from, from my running in the past. Uh, and that's my, purely my fault because I just haven't built up the kind of consistency that would allow that kind of stimulus to really take hold and really build up those, those kinds of weeks over, over weeks and months. It makes sense. I love the adjustments that you made with your training. And for those that are listening that kind of um, didn't get that whole downhill running bit that kind of Matt shared with you, that tip, um, what he's really talking about is when you're leaning back that much, you are putting a lot of force through your kneecap joint, your patellofemoral joint, right? And you're using a lot of your quads to almost like slow you down a little bit more. 
by keeping your posture in that upright position and focusing more on your hamstrings, picking up your foot and even increasing your cadence as you go downhill will actually make you a little bit more efficient. You're going to get a little faster going down the hill, but you're not expending as much energy because it takes us more energy to try to slow us down, right? So if you guys think about, you've heard about Boston Marathon with all the downhills and it just blows people's quads out early on um, where their quads are shot by the end. Um, that's that same concept and just making those subtle shifts in uh, some of your running form and your technique um, can be helpful. And it sounds like that kind of helped you out uh, during your, your, I guess, post-marathon reflection. But honestly, Matt, your first marathon story wasn't as bad as mine. Like mine That was, was my like second the- marathon, I should say. My first marathon story was awful. It was not a fun experience <laughs> by any that was That was marathon number two. Did you cramp up the first time? Okay, everything. Okay. Every, I, right. like, I was like, I was, it was the Hartford Marathon. Maybe you've done it. It's not that was, yeah, that was mine. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm doing great. I'm going up to Windsor. We got the, the bands playing on the side of the road. I'm feeling awesome. I was not trained for this marathon. Let me just disclaimer. Okay. Come back. All right. Like I'm starting to feel like it's, it's not like it's one of those roads where it's paved, but it's a little rougher. Yep. on the pavement yep. so like i'm feeling the it's like one of those roads it's great for like a snowy icy area because it's not like super slick right so if you're right. in new england it's like it's right. a nice road to drive on in the winter so ultimately like it's i can start feeling the the the, the pebble indentations in the gravel like in through my foot i'm like that's not feeling great and then i'm like coming back into hartford and then i'm getting into like <laughs> like the East Hartford kind of Glassberry area where you're circling around 84. And I basically like came to grips with like my mortality at that point. I'm like walking, I'm stopping. I'm like walking up the on-ramp to get back onto like this, like stretch onto like not 84, but parallels 84 coming into uh, Bucknell Park. And I like, I'm like a bucket of tears. Like I was like, I'd gone from physically drained into like emotionally drained. Like, you know, you go through those states, right. those stages. So I'm like, I'm like crying because I, I have nothing else. I mean, there's nothing else inside of me besides tears at that point. So those get expended and I come into the, the finish line and I'm like the classic marathon story of like never ever again (laughs) yeah and yeah i've definitely uh my experience was um very similar and similar to your kind of mastering 40 challenge for me it was i did six years of phd school work while i had two young kids and it was like four hours of sleep pretty much every day And then I defended my dissertation, I passed, I graduated in May, and I was like, well, I accomplished that, what can I do next? Oh yeah, let's run a marathon. So this was like me starting, you know, marathon training in June after six years of sleep deprivation, right? Really not, you know, taking care of my body and doing my first marathon. And that's where it ended up where I cramped up, you know, mile 20 and like literally like stiff knees, like trying to run through that for six miles at the end. You know, I didn't know about salt tabs and, you know, my whole body was like white crystals, like salt everywhere, just losing it in my sweat. So Next year is going to be my five-year anniversary of that one. So you're doing a 10-year kind of anniversary comeback. I'm, I've been mentioning it, and I think I'm teasing it out there. that I think Hartford next year, I'm coming for you. Five-year anniversary. Me. I'm sure you'll have no problem beating my time from Hartford. I, um, <laughs> I will say, going back to the downhill running, one of the big things for me beyond just like trying to get kind of like your torso 
going in a path that's parallel to the slope of the downhill, which is how I like to visually think about it, is um, what you're doing with your body to allow it to happen. You mentioned the focusing on the hamstrings, just opening up the, the hips as well. So you get that hip, so you're kind of stepping forward. You're not, it's not all just like butt kicks, right? You're extending your, your, your hips forward a little bit to kind of grab more of that ground. And in addition to, for me, is the upper body was the key thing here. And that means for me, where my arm carriage was, was normal, right? And my arms are, you know, roughly 90 degrees, maybe a little bit more. And my elbows don't really pass my, my side. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm that classic. My arm carriage is pretty good, I guess is the way of saying it. But it hurt me on the downhills because it was, it was making it harder for me to lean into that slope. So for me, the key was dropping my wrists down to more of waist level. So not, not, not doing anything with my shoulders or, or um, where my biceps and triceps were in terms of how I was carrying them. It was more of dropping my wrists down, my hands down. And that allowed my chest to take up the space where my hands had been. And that really, again, dropping my hands on was this cue and also this unlock for me of what to do with my torso and really kind of lean into that. And for me, that's always been the biggest thing. Some of advised my athletes too, who do a lot of hill work is, you know, make sure that their arms are down so it allows their body to take up that space as opposed to when you get your hands up, it's easier to then kind of, it just messes with your center of gravity a little bit. I don't know the exact technical term, maybe you do, but that, that has been a big cue for me in terms of really making sure I had the proper form in those situations. I like it. Thanks for sharing that tip. And many of the runners who are listening to this probably started listening to the show because they may have had an injury um, or they're really looking to kind of prevent injury or they've been, you know, to medical practitioners before and kind of gone through this whole diagnosis kind of circle um, that we can kind of get into. Um if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your story, because I think there's a lot of runners out there who are going to be able to relate to that and maybe frustrated right now. Um, so can you share really like that kind of injury diagnosis and what you learned from your whole um, knee pain experience? Yeah. So my knee pain was, was funny because it wasn't like this debil it wasn't debilitating. Right. It wasn't like I couldn't live my life with the issue. It was more of how it was affecting my running. Right. It was just it was just always there all of a sudden. It came out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden it was just ever present. And it was enough to make it like, all right, I can't just run through this. This isn't like a discomfort that will kind of fall away and just kind of like the the normal aches and pains of being an athletic person doing athletic things, right? Those things happen and it's important not to overreact every time something pops up, right? Uh, it's not like every run, something happens, oh, something, something happened, I gotta stop, right? Like, and you've talked about this in your show all the time, like you can work through these things while still running, um, even in more serious cases, Never mind just like the random thing that happens on a run. So it got to the point where it was obviously an issue. So I shut it down and I was seeing people who are, experts in the field. So I wasn't just like going to my next door neighbor and asking him for advice. Um, no, nothing against Matt or German. <laughs> my two next door neighbors. Um, but it was one of those things where like, we just couldn't quite get it. And, um, and I think that it was understanding not only what I was experiencing, but what I was, or in this case was not doing before the injury 
which might have been a little bit more predictive of what the injury diagnosis really was, which was the bursitis. Because ultimately, and this is something I talk about on the show all the time now, was I was I was never really getting running injuries. So the idea of you know, whether it's strength training or the pre-run activation work or all that stuff for me, it was like, Hey, I think that's really valuable. And I was telling my runners to do, especially runners who, you know, were certain situations or maybe more injury prone. I was like, I've never had injuries. This isn't something that's affected me. Like again, turning my ankle when I was playing soccer with my son doesn't count as a running injury. That's just dumb luck. So I was like, all right, this isn't affect me. This isn't something I have to really get involved with unless it's like, Hey, I just woke up. I'm doing a 4am run. I need to like move my body a little bit before I start running. But even then I would like really ease into my run. So I didn't, anyway, long story short, I wasn't doing the, the strength work and hip mobility work necessary to allow myself to fully, I guess, engage with the running I was doing. And ultimately, it led to a breakdown where my glutes and hip areas, and you know this better than I do because you're the one that diagnosed me with this, um, weren't, weren't being utilized in a way that would absorb the the pounding of the running that ultimately then backfired into my knee because those areas weren't up to par in terms of not only their their constant mobility our consistent mobility but also the pre-run activation that would make sure that they were ready to to kick butt once i started uh, and the person i was seeing before you a, a chiropractor here in rhode island who's who's fantastic and works with athletes at the highest level had identified that as well like a year prior, we we're doing something else with like my lower back. He's like, Hey man, your left side glute, like, it's not like your right side. Like it's like so weak. What's, you know, it's not like I walk around with like an oddly shaped butt, like they're the same <laughs> size, but right. they weren't just activated just like in the normal course of my day. Like I would lay on his, his table and he would like, I'd be on my stomach and my, my, my say like my right heel would be up and he'd push down on it and have good force do something on my left side. And he'd be able to like smack it right down. It's like, it was just a quirk of Matt Chittum, I guess. Like it just wasn't naturally activated the way my right side was. And I never thought about things like, if, like who would think, who would just come to that conclusion like over the course of their day? Like my right butt is activated and my left butt isn't. Like I'm, these aren't, I'm only one person. Like how can one side not be activated? That doesn't make any sense. But that's what happened. And it became an issue. Again, I had never really embraced this stuff prior to that because I wasn't injured, and but the, the missing key was I didn't understand that even if it never becomes an injury thing, I was leaving speed and endurance on the table because I wasn't becoming a better athlete because I was under this false assumption of like, hey, I used to lift all the time. I played college basketball. I don't need to do all this stuff. Like that's, that, that's for other people. <laughs> yeah, and that injury prevention stuff isn't very sexy, right? And no one likes to you know, say, oh yeah, I'm going to prevent something from happening. And it's not one or the other. And I, I categorize them as one or the other. There's injury prevention stuff and there's getting stronger stuff. And there may be certain things that get put into either one of those camps, but these are much more like overlapping circles, not silos. Right. Right. No. And exactly. And a lot of times either it's a previous injury, like who knows, like this could even date back to your ankle reconstruction, right? Like whenever the body goes through some traumatic experience, whether we are less active or we have a specific surgery like me, I had a hip 
arthroscopy. My glute literally shut down the day after surgery. I couldn't contract it. Weirdest thing because it was strong as heck the day before surgery, right? So our bodies go through and it takes time to kind of correct some of these muscle imbalances. So I, I think what's interesting with your story is number one, if someone's listening to this and they're struggling getting the right diagnosis and you're struggling with constant pain and you've gotten the runaround from, you know, your local practitioner, your PCP, PT, whoever it is, like, doesn't matter the medical professional, I would highly recommend that you go to someone who works with runners um, and knows kind of what to look for and what are the demands of your specific sport. Like we all are start and train, no matter what your profession, Cairo, PT, osteopath, right? MD, anyone, right? We all start out as generalists and we can, we get a baseline foundation in order to get a license, right? And then we wind up specializing as we go. So I do find that especially for runners, it is helpful especially if you're not getting the answers that you want to get and you're not getting back to running because most of these injuries, as Matt said, we can actually continue to train through. We need to modify our training and get on the right path to correct the underlying root cause to why pain started. So thank you for sharing your story. I appreciate that. Hey, a question that I'm really kind of curious about because we've talked about mother runners a lot on our show. We've had our coach Latoya on um, who's talked about this. And I think a lot of moms out there um, don't take enough time for themselves to kind of train and to be able to, they're juggling like so much, right? Like my wife does like amazing things, right? For our house, everything, keep our lives going. But I've never actually had uh, a dad on the show like yourself who I've thought about asking this to. I thought you'd be like the perfect person to kind of share with our listeners, you know, being a dad of two young children, how does that really impact um, you? And what does it mean to you being like a runner who is a dad? Um, like in terms of like how it affects my training or more holistically? More holistically and from like, now that you're a father, you're not just a guy who is an athlete, right? You're a basketball player and you, then you started running. So before kids, right? Versus now you have these two little humans who look up to you as dad. Like, how has that changed your outlook, I guess, on your journey and your running journey? Yeah, I, I, um, I can't say it has had a, um, a, some sort of like uniform impact from like, pre-dad, post-dad um, type thing beyond like just the, besides the constraints that, it's, that it puts on my schedule and time and sometimes mental capacity. Um, I, I would say you know, for me, it, it, there are moments where it can be motivating to be like, all right, like I want my kids to see that like, um, you know, maybe someday that like I you know, was consistent in the face of, you know, years and years of trying to do this and maybe achieve certain things. Um, I definitely have seen people that I coach or people that I'm friends with uh, who are achieving remarkable things as athletes with kids. And it's obvious that their kids are able to gain positive experiences by being in that orbit. And I can't say that that has happened in our house because I haven't been consistent enough to make that happen. Um, so I think they're just used to being me being like, hey, daddy, how's your ankle? <laughs> <As opposed to, laughs> like, hey, daddy, how's your race? Um, so I, I, I can't say it's been a huge thing. Uh, I would say um, having kids has 
at times given me a, um, how to say this, has given me a way out of training that, um, that I shouldn't have taken. Right. So saying like, oh, I don't know if I can do this today. I got to do X, Y, Z or, um, oh man, I got to wake up before the kids wake up. And, and certainly that, that is true. Um, and, and oftentimes not now with my current job situation, but in previous uh, job situations. So it's like, I've, uh, you know, created, there have been times where I've created like this, um, like excuse matrix that mm -hmm. I would lean on when things were either I didn't want to do them or I was being a baby about getting stuff done or I was thinking more short term of like, what do I want to do today versus what do I wish I would do, um, you know, if I look back on today. And I would say that uh, there have been times where I haven't fully embraced my athletic self because I've leaned on the fact that like, oh, I have other responsibilities. And maybe that's like an excuse why I shouldn't get this done. Um, and I've been sometimes too quick to, to do that sort of thing. Um, not to say that like, hey, it's all the same pre-kid, post-kid, um, but there are plenty of times where um, I allowed myself to believe that I was too busy to get stuff done when in actuality, I was just letting myself down and maybe just not either prioritizing my day or just letting myself believe it as opposed to like realizing the, the situation. And oftentimes it's not a matter of like, yes or no, it's, it's finding what we can do in that situation, right? So it's not like, hey, I can't run seven miles today, so I guess I'll run zero. Like, eh, is it really that black or white? Um, and uh, not leaning into those kind of uh, false dichotomies. No, and I think, thanks for sharing that because really what you verbalized is what I see so many times with our mom runners, right? Like exactly what you described, but it's like so nice to know that, hey, dads go through this too. Um, and even though, you know, it sounds that you don't think that your kids uh, see that, like they're going to say to you one day, because I remember when my kids are like your, your kids' ages, um, and they'll say stuff now that like, was when they were younger. And I'm like, you remember that? Or, you know, you have this outlook on life and like fitness and running that I never knew. Right. So like, even though you're like, yeah, I've had some injuries and, you know, I've had pains and I'm probably feel like I'm complaining to my kids, but your kids still see you go out for runs. Right. And they're going to still, still see you like crush California. Well, they want a show. They want to have a show like daddy. They want a show. <laughs> like my, well, my daughter is desperately like, wants like to be a YouTuber, not only because like every kid her age wants to be one, but because like daddy has a show and that's his job. It's like, oh, why can't I have a show? You're like, all right, nine-year-olds, like, cool <laughs> your jets. Hey, you never know, right? We might be seeing her with her own YouTube channel. How are we doing on time? Do we got a couple more minutes for a little lightning yeah. round? All right, cool. This is awesome. So Matt, I've never honestly have done this on the show yet. So I figured you'd be like the perfect person to trial it out, right? All right let's do it. <laughs> so let's do a little spark lightning round. So these are going to be some like quick questions. I'm going to try my best to like zipper my mouth and not talk and just get your answers. Um, so if you can just share, and this is more selfish here, key to success um, with recording over 300 episodes for one podcast show, what's the key to success? It's consistency because you like doing it. If you don't like doing it, then you're not going to be consistent because there are going to be plenty of times where you're not really that amped to get it done. 
So you need to be able to do it anyway. And if you don't like the endeavor in the first place, then there's no way that you're going to keep doing it when it's even less enjoyable than it was in those neutral times or good times. So um, again, sometimes with people's professions, especially in the short term, they can't make those sorts of decisions like, hey, that's great and all, but like, I need to pay my mortgage in three days. So like, I'm not going to quit my job this afternoon. Um, but if it's a hobby, if it's something like that, and you don't enjoy it, like, go find something else you want to do, man. Like, there's nothing stopping you from embracing your a hobby that you like. So I would say that because um, there are plenty. To, I get nervous for every single podcast and for every single one I record. This now, this now, this is now morphed off the lightning round. I'm sorry, but every, <laughs> for every podcast that I do, in my head, I try to think. It, I just default to this. I don't try to think anything. I default into: Can I postpone this? Can I somehow get out of this? Right. Every single episode I've ever recorded in my life. Right now. 99.9% of the time, I don't end up doing that. I just record it. And, and just like on race day, when you're nervous at the start line, and as soon as they shoot the gun, five steps in, you forgot you were nervous one second ago. Uh, same thing happens. You start recording. It's perfectly normal. And you're really excited. And then you enjoy the experience. Um, but again, if you don't enjoy it uh, during the good times or neutral times, then there's no way you're going to be consistent when it's neither one of those. Oh my goodness. I thought that was going to go away when I hit like, you know, episode a hundred, but I guess it never goes away. Okay. Not for me. So, <laughs> craziest thing that has ever happened on your podcast. Craziest thing that ever happened on my podcast. Oh, that's tough. Um, let's see here. Oh, oh, easy. It didn't even say it's my podcast. Uh, Des Linden was on the flow track podcast or the let's run podcast. Let's run podcast. And she referenced listening to my podcast. <laughs> nice what the hell just happened i almost like i almost like drove off the road i heard it as i was driving to work and i was like what just happened and it was funny because like i got a couple of texts when i was driving and again it wasn't live but people were listening to in the morning um and i hadn't listened to like again i was driving so i hadn't, hadn't like looked at the text messages and it turned out that people had heard the same thing and um so i ended up like sending her a dm like hey it's matt chinnam from the really runner <laughs> podcast when you just mentioned um love to have you on the show you know uh I ended up working out which was great but it was a uh, it wasn't my podcast but that was crazy my craziest podcast moment was listening to someone else reference my podcast who i who's you know been a hero to every runner everywhere yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so what's your favorite New England town to visit? Every summer, my buddy who doesn't have kids plans golf trips because he has that time. Um, so he plans them <laughs> in, in Killington, Vermont. And I love going up there. And I'm not a skier because I was a basketball player. You can't be a skier and a basketball player. <laughs> yep. you, you, every basketball coach in history has forbid their players from, from right. skiing during the season, uh, including every single one of mine. Um, so I like going up there in the summer because it's so much fun. And, you know, I get to you know, run on all like the, the mountain roads. And then, you know, I don't play golf except for on these trips. So for me, it's more just like a social experience with these 25 other people. Uh, but I love going up there. But in fact, on that trip, one of the other places I love going is Woodstock, Vermont, which is just east of Killington. It's beautiful, beautiful town. Uh, and that's always, that, that, that's, that's a great spot as well. Um, there's a lot of great places near you, my man. That's for sure. Yeah, no, well, Let's go to Vermont oh, first. If, someone's, if someone loves beers, if someone's a craft beer person, I would say Portland, Maine. 
If you're okay. going to be in New England, you can't beat Portland, Maine for craft beer. Uh, second up, there actually is, uh, surprisingly enough, Northampton in Massachusetts is also a really cool spot to be um, if you're more on like the eclectic side. Nice. We were actually in Portland, Maine, literally last weekend. That's the first time I've ever been there before. Um, so that's very ironic. Um, and yeah, Vermont, like we actually went, did some hiking in the Green Mountains for the first time this past uh, year as well. Uh, so Vermont's very nice, but we are big beach family. So what is the best Rhode Island beach that the Scotty family can visit? My wife is dead set on Narragansett Town Beach. She loves Narragansett Town Beach. She's a huge fan of that one. That's when she, she's a beach bum by trade. Um, I shouldn't say that she's, she's a teacher, but she has grown <laughs> up on the beach. Uh, and she's uh, every summer of her life, she has spent on the beach and she loves, she just loves Narragansett Town Beach. I think it's, I think it's very nice uh, for sure. Um, if you have little kids, I think Salty Brine is, is nice. It's more towards, towards like the Westerly area. Um, Newport is People think of Newport, they think of like the water and all of that. The beaches are overhyped. They're not okay. bad. But are they rocky? Newport, there are a lot of rocks there? It's just like the, the, the waves are fine. They're not great. I mean, it's, it's, okay. it's fine. It's fine. But when people yep. think of Newport beaches, like that's one of those things that you could tell like anyone in America, like, hey, I'm going, to the, I'm going to Newport, going to the beach. People are like, wow, that's amazing. Like, yeah, it's not, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. It's not, all right. You're overrated beach or something like that yeah it's a little overrated it's still it's still good it's still good okay it's not it's not like life-changing all right um so next question college hoops or mba oh i like both for sure okay uh for right. sure I, I i think that the um you know watch, watching college can be more emotional I think the game is easier to watch because it's shorter. It's halves instead of quarters. Um, you also get like the, the 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 dead ball replay experience is very different in college than it currently is in the pros. And I think they're going to be changing that soon. Um, obviously, like they're pros for a reason. They're better players, right? Like you watch a college game and then you watch a pro game and you go back to watch college and you're like, hey, I'm, all these guys are missing shots. Like I'm, I don't get it. Right? right. And this guy I watched last night, he had like a step back 25 footer, like in three consecutive plays. I see like one of those a week in, in college basketball. Uh, but there is the element of um, just the college campus brings a different element to the viewing experience than a pro game does. It's just a different crowd. And yep. I think that that can be a different experience as well. So I can't say I like one more than the other. I guess for a regular season game, I would go college. Um, but the NBA playoffs from a basketball viewing perspective is a far better viewing experience than say the NCAA tournament. Obviously the NCAA tournament is much more emotional because it's one win and you're one loss and you're out. So there's that emotion behind it, but the quality of basketball is forget it. It's, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole different ball game. Right? No, I agree. And last question here, Matt is what's next uh, for the rambling runner podcast network. That's a great question. First of all, we'll, 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 we're narrowing it to just the rambling runner. So road to the trials is now over, obviously. <laughs> the, the, the Olympics have passed and maybe in, you know, the, the next Olympic trial set will be in three years. Uh, so in two years from now, maybe we'll be picking that back up again. Um, but on the rambling runner, it, it persists, right? We're, we're focusing on dedicated amateur runners who are doing amazing things. We'll just get those feature stories out. We'll have occasional coaches' corners episodes, and then occasionally talking to uh, professionals within the running space uh, who are doing really cool things and can be very helpful. Uh, people like 
yourself, people like registered dietitians who work with runners, people uh, who are um, therapists who work with runners and you can go through that sort of, that sort of thing. So uh, we try to stay within those four buckets with a heavy lean towards the feature stories on dedicated amateur runners. Love it. And for those that are listening, um, if you haven't checked out the Rambling Runner podcast, you definitely need to and subscribe to it so you don't miss the next episode that comes out. Um, they keep me company during all of my runs. Um, so I love uh, getting that new episode up in my queue and my listening queue um, all the time. So keep doing the amazing work that you are doing, uh, Matt. And where can uh, listeners be able to connect with you? Yeah, so the best place is over on Instagram. So it's rambling underscore runner. It's the same thing on Twitter. Um, most of it's going to be on Instagram. The podcast is on all the podcast platforms. Um, that's not a problem. Also, we're going to be doing some live shows coming up. We haven't announced the dates or times of any of them, but they will be at the Richmond Marathon, where I'll be doing the half that weekend, and at CIM. We've done live shows at CIM in the past. We're doing them again this year. Again, no finalized we have finalized the times and the dates on that stuff um for richmond it'll be pretty simple it'll be on friday because the race is actually race is actually on saturday a lot of marathons are on sundays so you'll have like the saturday leaning to it so the the live shows will be on fridays uh which will be a fun experience so if you're gonna be at either one of those races i would love to see you in person uh either at the episode or at the the, the live show itself or meeting up before or after i'll just kind of be mulling around Oh man, I wish I was, I wish I was doing those so I can see you there, but I'm sure I will definitely be listening to the episodes uh, once they come out. So this has been such a joy, honestly, an honor to have you on my show. And thank you for sharing all of the like running tips that you shared, kind of your personal journey. We got into a lot today, like talking about being a father, you know, injuries, like battling that, comeback stories, um, goal setting. Uh, we talked about so much today. So thank you so much, Matt, for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure, Dwayne. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my man. All right. We'll talk soon. And as always, guys, stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Until next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Runner Podcast. Can I please ask you for a couple of favors? Can you subscribe to The Sucker wherever you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever so you never miss another episode? You'll be notified when a new episode drops every Thursday. Can you also please leave me a rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts? What I want you to do is to tell them how awesome you are as a runner and then tell them what you have liked most about the show. I love to hear what you have to say. I read all of them and it means a lot to me. If you haven't seen the video version of this podcast, then head over to youtube.com forward slash spark your training and you can see the video version as well as our full video library of exercises that are specific to your running on the Spark Your Training YouTube channel. Also, if you like the content in this podcast, then you will like the community even better. Head over to our Healthy Runner free Facebook group so you can get all the bonus content, blog articles, and get your questions answered by myself and our team of Healthy Runner coaches. The fifth and final thing I want you to do is that you can help this podcast out by taking a screenshot wherever you're listening, whatever episode, and put it in your stories on Instagram and tag me. That is at spark your training. If you do this, I'll give you a shout out and repost it, sharing your running wins while listening to the podcast. 
More importantly, we'll be able to share this information with a lot more runners because that is the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of as many runners as possible to help them stay healthy so they can stay on the road doing what they love. So take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, and tag me in it. You can also find out how I help runners as well as our brand new Healthy Runner Strength Program by visiting our website, sparkyourtraining.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I just love our Healthy Runner family. And remember, guys, let's stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Until next time.